0: Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 a.m. and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio.
1: Interfacing complete, please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Shirts and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now
2: here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ.
3: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University, talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz, and I'm Jim Russ, and it is great to be back in the hot seat again. I just came back from Iraqi Kurdistan. We are working on uh, setting up a campus over there in Erbil, which is the capital of Kurdistan, and the Kurds are spread around four countries. Around three thirty million Kurds, and there some are in Iraq, some are in Iran. Some are in Turkey. Some are in Syria. So we're dealing with the ones in Iraq, northern Iraq, the Iraqi Kurds, and uh, they love America over there mm-hmm. because when America invaded Iraq, it saved the Kurds from Saddam Hussein, who had gassed hundreds of thousands of Kurds by dro- by sending helicopters over. Mm. So it was really a pleasant trip, the Kurds. So
1: did they have a parade for you and <laughs> –
3: <laughs> no, not they didn't have a Our parade. Our favorite American, but uh, but everybody was uh, very friendly. You know, nice. we, I met the minister of education. Was in the prime minister's office. All the the top government officials talked with them, in trying to get this thing up and running. So it was a very pleasant trip. It's all it's very European there because the the uh, the Kurds are warriors. Pershmonga. Uh, is the they're, they're they're the fighters that stands for those who face death they have the best army, and so they have created a safe haven there in Iraq, and a lot of investments going in there so it's i'll talk more about Kurdistan later in the show okay and of course Amazon and Walmart are still duking it out over online shopping. These two guys are big and they are really aligned for the long term battle. DefCon is coming up. This is the uh, DefCon 2018. This is the Hackers Convention. They are going to feature in their uh, in their hacking village to show they're going to feature how to hack the U.S. election system. And what they said, normally they have these hacking exercises for adults, but they said they they have simulated websites that come that can that that are going to be used for the election system. And they said it's so easy to hack these systems that it, that it would have been boring to the regular hackers. So they set it up for kids. Oh, so they, nice. So they've got kid hackers who are going to hack this thing to show that, you know, it's kiddie work. To,
1: let's uh, let's start these. them out right.
3: That's right. Uh, and uh, we're going to feature a Tech Idea of the Week automatic dog feeders that are hooked to your, hooked to your cell phone. I
1: think the dog <laughs> will figure out how to override it.
3: It may be. And Google Glass is another application for autism. And, uh, to, you know, to help, for, to help kids with autism. And, uh, you know, they are continuing to worry about artificial intelligence and thinking since it's trained on human data, it's going to have embedded in it human frailties. So we'll talk about how they're going to override that. Now, today we're going to feature on Profiles in IT Charles, George Charles Duvall. He's the inventor of the uh, first um, robotic arm. That among, was used, other that was used, yeah, among other used Yeah, that was used for manufacturing. And um, last week we featured uh, the man who was the uh, father of robotics. He actually took Charles Duvall's idea, popularized it, and spread it around. So I would say Charles Duvall, and when, it, as, as, when it comes to robotics, is sort of like Steve Wozniak was to Apple compared to Steve Jobs. So a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago we did the the equivalent of Steve Jobs in robotics, and now we're doing the equivalent of Steve Wozniak in robotics, George all, he's got an interesting story. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yes, glad to we, see he came back to work oh, on time. Oh, he was really on the ball there. We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dear Dr. Schertz, thanks for all the past help in getting my computer problems and concerns solved. I've created another problem. Uh-oh. And I need your help. I'm trying to clone my Windows 10 operating system and all my files on my desktop to an external hard drive. Now, since Windows 10 has a built-in cloning program, I used it. A couple of hours later, the cloning was complete. When I looked on my external hard drive, boom, it was blank. But those files were copied somewhere. So now I'm thinking they were copied on the main hard drive of my computer. So I checked the amount of space left on that main hard drive, and it's really a lot less space left. So they're somewhere on that hard drive, and I can't find them. Uh, how can I get rid of them? And, uh how can I fix this situation? I enjoy your weekly radio program and all the archive shows as well. Thanks, Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, let's talk about how Windows, the functions of Windows 10, and what they have to back up. Windows can can back up files, individual files on your computer, like all your Word files, your Express, your, your Excel spreadsheet files, and usually people just back up those files and then. If they if their computer goes down, they just reinstall the operating system, reinstall the applications, and then they restore the, the files from the backup. You can also, and you can you can restore individual files from the backup. Now, Windows also has something called the um, reset point, the restore set point, and you can actually uh, you can actually set a restore set point, and then if something happens to your computer, you can go back to a previous restore set point and it'll restore the the system to that set point that's very convenient those restore set points are automatically set anytime you do anything and it has finally something called a system image now Doug I think you're calling you know when you say it has the the built in cloning I think you're talking about the system image because there's nothing within Windows 10 that's called cloning so the system image copies the entire image of the uh, uh, of the um, of the operating system, including all the your data files, and it copies them all to one single file. And then, if you want to restore your computer, you can simply restore it from that single file image. It's really it takes a long time to run this uh, this this image, and so it's uh, it's uh, y- usually people just do the file backup, but you can do the the image now. Apparently, that single file that was created when you did the image is now on your hard drive. Now it turns out that the single, Im- the single image is created in a VHDX file. That's a virtual hard drive file, and the extension is VHDX. So, and it's not assigned a number, because in order for that virtual hard drive to be assigned a number, you have to mount it. And then it's assigned a number, so you can actually go to it. So it's just a file which is on your hard drive. Now, you can find it by going to Disk Management in Settings. And then in Disk Management, there's something at the top called Actions. Click on Actions, and the drop-down menu will have something called Mount VHD. So you can mount the VHD. Now, you wanna, you'll, you wanna, you'll have to look around for the VHD. Now, it turns out the VHD is in a, um, is in a folder called Windows Image Backup. So you're gonna to have to look all over your hard drive to find Windows image backup, and the VHD file is in that subdirectory. Pick the biggest VHD file and mount it. When you mount it, it will be assigned a drive letter, and then you can actually go to that and look at what's going on. Now, what you want to do is, if you find the VHD file that was created on the day that you did that backup, you know that's the that's the date, and you can just you can just delete that VHD file, and you'll be you'll be just fine once you once you find it. Now, Microsoft actually did not want regular consumers to use this disk imaging. They thought it was too complicated, so they originally hit it, and you'd have to go into the PowerShell, the Windows PowerShell, to activate it using, using basically uh, command prompts. And there was a major backlash. They said, why did you make it so hard to find the, the system imaging? And so then they ended up putting it back into the uh, graphical user interface, the GUI, but it's still difficult to use. Now, most people just use cloning software, which is a lot more transparent. You don't have to go through all this mounting stuff, and you know, it's not so technical. And so one of the most popular cloning programs is EaseUS To-Do Backup. It's $29. And uh, there's also a, a, a limited freeware version of that. EaseUS to-do backup. The, the full version is $29. There's a, there's a free version that's, that's slightly crippled. And this uh, this cloning backup is very straightforward, and uh, you can basically... Um, it, it integrates with the Microsoft volume shadow so that users can backup volumes without undermining the other operating systems. It's a sector-by-sector sector backup, and it provides a digital image clone of the original Windows 10. It also has a check image tool that can check the image file for integrity. It's actually quite convenient, but I think you should have no trouble getting rid of that particular virtual hard drive file and then copying to, uh, to an external hard drive. It was a good question, and thanks for that email. We got an email from Gene. Hi, Doc and Jim. I always appreciate your explanation on issues of all types. I'm running Windows 10, and it shuts down my screen too soon. Whenever I idle for a brief period, it seems as if I barely leave it, and boom, the screen is shut down. i got to enter my password. It was not very efficient. I've looked in the MS config file but could not find a solution. Separately, I wondered if you can be comfortable giving out all that information when using smart devices and the applications that that you have on the phone. I'm not comfortable when it asks for things that aren't necessary, like when I go to Amazon Music and it – and it wants access to my media, my photos, my other files. That's kind of a red flag to me. I'd like to understand what you think of all these app permissions and what we should do. Well, let's go to the, um, to the first problem, which is uh, your, your system goes into, um, your, basically goes into power save mode too soon. What you want to do, you want to go to settings in window 10, and then you can search for something called power and sleep. It's not in the MS config file. Search for something called power and sleep. And once you get to power and sleep, you've got two options. You've got power and you've got options for the screen, and you've got uh, options for going to sleep. uh, You know, and so go to the screen option, and you've got you've got a choice for when you're operating on battery. And if you're on battery, you can you can you can choose how long the screen will turn off while you're on battery. You go from five minutes to an hour. Now, I, you're probably set on five minutes. I, I have mine set for 15 minutes. When I'm on battery, I want it to go to, to – to, I want the screen to shut off in 15 minutes. Uh, now, uh, as far as sleep goes when I'm on battery, I, I have it go to sleep in one hour. If if, like if I'm not – the screen goes out in 15 minutes, but the whole computer goes to sleep in an hour if I'm on battery. Now, you got the powered option there. Under the powered option, you've got one to five hours plus never. Now, I've chosen one hour for the screen, so if I'm plugged in, I've got it set up so the screen turns off after an hour. So it never turns off because I'm usually plugged in. But then as far as sleep goes, I choose never because a lot of times I'll be making backups, you know, when I do my backups for my carbonite and things backing up, and I don't want it to turn off while the backup is in place. So while it's plugged in, it never goes to sleep. Now, as far as permissions for applications go, only give access to those functions that you use. So if you're not going to use voice commands, don't, don't give it access to the microphone. It's asking for access. You don't have to give it. Now, if you've, if you've got, say, if you're trying to do uh, Amazon Music and you, and you want to um, you know, play music from your device, it's going to have to have access to media. On the other hand, if, if you're only using Amazon Music to stream, from the web, you don't have to give it access to media because it's not ever going to going to access media. So just don't give it permission. So you just limit the permissions to what it uh, to what it needs, and say Amazon, say the Amazon app is going to ask for access to the camera because what they they have an option where you can you can take a picture of a device or a scan code, and it will try to identify the the, the object for you very quickly if you're searching for a particular object. But if you're never going to use that camera function when searching the Amazon website, don't give it access to the camera. So I do give access for for those uses that I actually need, and I don't have a problem with that. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Gentlemen. Dirty pool. <laughs> now, as a result of my tip off, you're having Dr. Shirts announce the rundown topics for the best of Tech Talk editions. Whatever happened to transparency, Susan, in Alexandria? Whatever
1: happened to trying to keep a few listeners <laughs> when we're not here?
3: Yes, indeed. Well, Susan, uh, you did tell us that yes. you could tell us a best of show when Jimmy did in the introduction. So we corrected the format yes. so we could. We could, we could, we could tease you on just a little bit longer. This
1: is our show. <laughs> that's right. But, but you no, know, it's your show. I'm but,
3: just... but you know, Susan. But thanks for the tip, and we intend to perfect our techniques based on your feedback. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Susan is now a show consultant, and what 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 is her consultant fee? It's it's zero dollars. It's, right? it's
3: zero dollars. Yeah. That's right. And we get every every we get our money's worth. Uh, we got an email from David and Little Rock. Dear Tech Talk, I period, periodically clean up my hard drive and delete unneeded files. I've been using CC Cleaner, but I don't want to continue this paid subscription. Are there any free options, David and Little Rock? Well, Tech Talk, uh, I've really not recommended CC Cleaner for a while. It, I mean, it nags you to run it because of the paid subscription. And if you want to turn off the nag, you've got to pay a little fee and um and so, in addition, CC cleaner has been hacked sometimes, and you you may have malware with it. So it, over the last few years, Windows has Windows has really created a really nice built-in disk cleanup tool, and that's what I'd recommend. It works very well. Microsoft improves at every version. This tool removes temporary files, it removes previous Windows installation, it removes log files, old Windows updates, thumbnails, and various other cache files. If you never run it, you can probably free up a few gigabytes of space by doing so. We don't recommend CC Cleaner because you, Windows already does a great job at cleaning up disk space. Now, to access the free up disk space tool in Windows 10, go to Settings, and then System, and then Storage. And then click on Free Up Space Now under the Storage set. The Windows will still automatically scan for files that you delete check the files you want to delete, and then click Remove Files to get rid of them. Now, warning, if you check Recycle Bin, it will empty your Recycle Bin, so be sure you don't have anything in Recycle Bin that you want to recover, that you deleted by mistake. We got an email from Joan in Springfield, Missouri. Dear Doc and Jim, we're going on vacation to Israel, and would like to share our photos as we go. We both have iPhones. What do you recommend? Enjoy the podcast, Joan in Springfield, Missouri. Well, there are a couple of ways you can share photos if you're actually if you're in a group. One, you can create a share folder in iCloud and uh, and both of you and and as you take pictures, they'll be uploaded to the iCloud, and both of you will see the photos in real time that are placed in that folder. You can simply go to iCloud Shared and then select the plus sign, which means you're going to add a shared folder, give it a name, call it Israel, and then you add people on the trip to that folder and they then accept the invitation and they're looking at the same shared folder and you can all share your share your photos in that shared folder quite easily. Now here now I did that once on a trip to Spain and all the people I was with were not happy with me <laughs> because it uses data. And so if the iCloud is not configured to only upload and download photos over Wi-Fi, it will upload and download photos with cellular. And in Spain, cellular data was really expensive. And by the way, data in Israel is very expensive. So if you do this, you want to configure your iCloud to only upload and download photos over Wi-Fi and not over cellular. Gotcha. Now, I don't even use the iCloud folder sharing anymore. There's a better way. Uh Airdrop. Okay. Airdrop is really good because then you can share immediately... And you don't use any data. It uses Bluetooth. So you simply select the photos you want to share. And the other person, well, the other person that you want to share them with, they have to configure their airdrop to accept pictures. And you can you configure it three ways to accept pictures from no one, which means they, they you can't send it to them. Select pictures from contact list or select pictures from everyone. So they should probably select from contact list. And then once they open, uh, you know, they log into their iPhone, you simply select the photos you want to share, and you click share, and then you'll have all these options like email, message. But right. then there'll be a blue, there will be an AirDrop symbol, and there the name of their iPhone will show up in AirDrop. You click on that, on that AirDrop symbol, and you're inviting them to take it. Then they simply will get an invitation window that pops up. If they accept it, the pictures are all transferred directly to their photo folder, over Bluetooth. Wow! Using no data, but the beauty is. The, the date on the photo, it goes into their photo thing, not like new photos. It goes in, 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 in the proper date order, so all the photos are properly organized by date. Cool. It's as though they took the photo. Wow. So actually, I've gone purely to Bluetooth sharing because it doesn't use any data, and it's so quick.
1: Wow, I've learned something new
3: today. Well, listen, we love your emails. You can email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you at the next show, or maybe it's an emergency. We'll get back to you immediately.
1: It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on 1500 AM, 1035 fmhd 2, 1039 FM 2. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. (laughs) Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
3: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for Profiles
2: in IT.
3: Yes, today we're going to feature George Charles Duvall, Jr., Now, George Duvall was an American inventor, and a very prolific inventor, who was known for developing Unimate, the first material-handling robot employed in industrial production work. He came with the first robot used in automotive manufacturing. He invented it. George Duvall was born February twentieth, 1912, in Louisville, Kentucky. Now he was always interested as a boy in all things electrical and mechanical. He's always taking things apart, figuring out how they worked. He attended Rorden Prep School, and he didn't really like his classes that much, but, but he liked to study all sorts of things, mechanical, electrical, so they, they let him construct some buildings on the campus there. He ran the school's electric plant, and he, he, he was having a good old time, but he wasn't really you know, an academic star there at the school. Mm-hmm. He wasn't very scholarly, but he could figure how stuff worked out very easily. After graduating from high school, he decided to forget college. It's just, I'm not going to class. I would just want to start inventing. So he started United Cinephone, and he had the idea that he would find a way to put fit, to put sound directly onto film for the newly invented motion pictures called talkies. No kidding. Yeah, so he... So he started working on this. It's called United Cinephone, and he and he got <laughs> Cinephone, and, and he got all of the C I N E, not S I N. I thought
1: this is a well. <laughs> I was actually thinking cinnamon flavored phone, oh, but that's, that's, that's something. Right. Never mind, Cinephone, <laughs> That's Cinebun. R- that's right. Never mind.
3: And so and so he thought, well, this this would be a very good idea. And you put the sound directly on the on the film. So he got photo detectors and all the electronics to build this thing. And then he discovered that other people were working on it, like like RCA and some really big players. And he thought, you know, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to make any headway here because they're going to beat me to the marketplace. So he pivoted to other things, and he had all of these photo sensors. He had all these vacuum tubes, all this electronics that he had purchased for the, for the, uh, for the sound, uh, motion picture sound project. He said, well, what can I do with it? So he started inventing stuff. The first thing he did, he took a photo sensor, and he invented the photoelectric door. This is the door that automatically, Now we just we just used to it. You walk up to the door and it opens. Well, he invented that, and he he licensed that, and they started producing the first photoelectric door. Then he said, well, what else can I do with these photo cells? So then he invented a barcode system for sorting packages for railway express, and so they put a barcode system on there. He'd use these photo detectors. They would detect the barcode, and boom, they they would track it. He did the first optical registration control for color offset printing using these same components. He ought to, In addition, he, he built a photoelectric people counter so at the World's Fair they could count the number of people going in and out of the building, you know, throughout the day. So this guy could just come up with all kinds of ideas. He could put, put the, the electronics together. He could field it, and he could sell it. He was extremely prolific. When World War II began... He decided he wanted to do something to really help the country, so he sold United Cinephone and all of these inventions that he had made, and he and he and he went to Sperry, um, uh, uh, you know Sperry Gyroscope, and he said he'd like to help them with the radar, with their develop the radar system. So Sperry hired him to develop radar devices and microwave test equipment. So uh, he he worked on he, he worked at Sperry for a while, and then uh, then a couple of years later he was he was hired by Auto ordinance to produce counter radar devices. See, because once we had radar, then the enemy had radar, and then we had to have counter radar devices to override their radar detection capabilities. So he began working on counter radar devices, and the and the uh, Auto Ordnance. Uh, Radar countermeasure systems were on every single Allied plane by on D-Day. Mm. Now, Duvall was part of the team that developed the first commercial use of microwave ovens. This device automatically cooked and dispensed hot dogs, and it was called the Speedy Weenie. And so there you go again. The, the first speedy weenie commercial use of microwave ovens. The speedy weenie. You
1: know, it's pretty quick to cook <laughs> a hot dog anyway. I, you know, I don't know, but I would was, think of a lot of other things to use the microwave for.
3: You could well, but back then they, you know, they were trying to make a case for it. They know. had hot
1: dogs back then. They, the, they had hot dogs the
3: back then. So you know, I use it to heat up water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's yeah. <laughs>
3: In 1946, he applied for a patent on magnetic recording systems for controlling machines and also for a digital playback devices for machines. This, is, this was so that he could record things and he could send the information to machines. This would ultimately become the brains of the robot system that he was going to invent later on. And so this was the beginning of his robotic thinking. He developed first the magnetic recording system so he could record different uh, commands and he could send those to machines. And in 1954, he applied for and received a patent for the programmed article transfer device, and he introduced the concept of universal automation, universal automation, and he shortened that to unimation. Universal automation, he shortened it to unimation, and ultimately he termed it unimate, unimate. So he came up with this programmable article transfer device, which he termed Unimate. And this was basically the robotic arm, say, that was used initially for auto manufacturing, say, to do, to do welding or to move parts from here to there to stack parts. And it was just this robotic arm that you, could, that you could program to do different things. And so we applied for the patent. Now, what is interesting, this particular patent was so original there was not a single prior citation because you usually have to do prior prior work in the area and you have to do those citations so that you differ from the prior work. There was no prior work. This huh. was the first of its kind. This was a new category, an extremely innovative idea. Now, he teamed up with Joseph F. Engelberger, who we featured last week. Now, Engelberger recognized the power of this device. It was more than just a programmed article transfer device, he realized that you could use this robotic technique across all industries to do lots and lots of things. So he was thinking big. So he and Duvall teamed up, and they convinced Consolidated Diesel Electronics to back the development of the robot. And the new division within Consolidated Diesel Electronics was called Unimation, and Unimation made the Unimate. So Joseph Engelberger... Was like the Steve Jobs of uh, of uh, robotics. He took the idea, he marketed the idea, he got it accepted. But uh, George Duvall is like the Steve Wozniak of Apple, who actually <laughs> invented the device and did all the electronics in the background. Now, in the beginning, the Unimation Unimation designed and machined every part of the Unimate because they there was there were just no. Other, they couldn't buy parts for it because they were trying to do things that had never been done before. So they designed and machined every part of the Unimate. The first Unimate robot was hired, was was purchased by GM, General Motors, to lift hot pieces of metal from a die and stack it. So you could see as, as, as a person taking these hot pieces, stack them with tongs, put them down. That would be an unpleasant job. So they had Unimate do it. But Unimate will do anything. It will do anything that you tell it to do. Just mm-hmm. program it. Now, the first Unimate cost $5 million to develop, uh, but obviously they had to bring the price down in order to make money. By 1966, full-scale production was in running, and they had dropped the price down significantly so they could sell it at a profit. And the first robot production, the first production robot that came out of the production lines was a material handling robot, materials handling robot, and that was soon followed by robots for welding and robots for other applications, now, GM, of course, started the, started the, um, the action in, in AutoMotion to use it, but very quickly all of the other auto manufacturers bought it. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you've seen pictures now of these auto, auto assembly lines. You've got all these robotic arms doing things, putting in screws, welding, moving things. And so all of that came out of Unimate. By 1975, Unimation showed its first profit— In 1978, Puma, the Programmable Universal Machine for Assembly, was developed with support from GM. Now, Duvall obtained a whole bunch of other patents on visual and tactical sensors, tactile sensors for robots, coaxial connectors, non-refillable containers, magneto-restrictive manipulators, all sorts of inventions that were needed to make the robot more effective. He just kept inventing, inventing, inventing. He was elected as an honorary member to the Society of Manufacturing Engineers. He was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2011, and is a member of the Automation Hall of Fame. Okay, I'm
1: yes. sorry, have I cut you off? Were yeah, you... no, you have not. Okay, so I, I, you know, you could use the Unimate to fetch your speedy weenie. Yeah, well,
3: because you, you don't do... want to burn your hand. That is true. You could have the speedy weenie. You could have the Unimate go in there and, cr- and put it in the bun.
1: Well, it comes in the bun. I actually found a picture of this thing. You mean, Have you it's, seen this? It's
3: cooked? It's cooked in the bun.
1: Yeah. It, well, it, it is. The, the machine looks is the size of a Coke
3: machine. Okay. And
1: it says at the top. It says what is it say? radio radio cook or something like that radio <laughs> radio chef. And then and then uh, it, it'll cook your hot dog in twenty seconds uh-huh. and dispense it in a bun wrapped in cellophane. Wow. Guess how much it costs. How much? Ten cents.
3: Ten, cents, Ten for a, cents for a speedy weenie. For a speedy weenie. And it will
1: spit out 200 speedy weenies continuously without having to stop. So, okay, so 200 speedy weenies 20 seconds each. That's 4,000 seconds, right? Yeah. How long do you that, – that's over an hour
3: Yeah. that it will be working. Working to so, put up. There you go. So, so the,
1: the <laughs> pictures show the inside of the internal workings of this thing. You don't want to see your sausage made, nor do you want to see it cooked. Yes,
3: that's right. <laughs>
1: there you go. Well,
3: there you go. Everything, you know, this is something I'd never talked about a speedy weenie before. No, well, the there's air. a first for everything. was a the first. That, there you go. Everything you want to know about George Duvall, who is the man who invented the first robotic arm. And the speedy weenie. And the speedy weenie. Yes. All
1: right. It is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. It's time for you to get uh, free food. It probably won't be a hot dog, but it will be something a lot better than that. So we're going to play the pop quiz next here on uh, Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. You can watch us cook weenies here in the studio by downloading the Periscope app and followings at WFED Tech Talk. Yeah.
2: Featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh yes, thank you, thank you, thank you very much.
3: They're cheering because we gave
1: out a free Speedy Weenie to everybody during, in the studio audience.
3: You'll all get your hot dog in a minute, just calm down, calm down, you'll get your Speedy Weenie as quickly as we can distribute them. Now, earlier in the show, we were talking about George Charles DeBall, Jr. He, of course, is the man who developed the first robotic arm that was used for manufacturing. And he was quite an inventor in his own right. Now, he invented many, many things in his life. But when he invented this robotic arm, when they ultimately put it into production, they gave it a name. What was the name of that robotic arm that they sold initially to George or to uh, to General Motors?
2: If you know the answer to today's question, well, good for you. Pick up your phone and call us now. <laughs> if you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're about to fire up your speedy weenie in Canada, (laughs) call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, as always, the international line is 877-936-39333.
3: And if you're trying to call us from the autonomous region of Kurdistan, you can reach us by Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio for free of charge. Andrew
2: Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. So let's talk about the device of the week, the tech
3: idea of the week, the automatic dog feeder. Now... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: it has nothing to do with the speedy weenie.
3: <laughs> nothing to do with the speedy weenie. No, no, not at all. This automatic dog, you know, they- they'll just make your life easier. You don't have to worry about feeding your dog. You can get home late. So there are a few options here that are out there. The cheapest one that I found was W-O-Pet, Whoa, pet. W-O-Pet, Pet Feeder. It gets the job done. It's reasonably, reasonably priced, ninety dollars on Amazon.
1: That's, I get ninety dollars. I can dump the food in the bowl it, myself.
3: It has a programmable timer. You can set it to defend, You can set it up to dispense food four times a day, with portions of two teaspoons up to four and a half cups per serving. Good so grief. you so you just feed the dog exactly he what they're supposed a to. Horse get. now it's now pet is wall powered or battery powered in case of um, powder powder outage. You now this is the this is the thing. You can record a message that plays while your dog is eating so he can hear your voice in case he has separation anxiety. That's $90. Now, you've got Feed and Go, Smart Pet Feeder. Now, this is 249 if you really want to go, you know, go big. Now, this is an automatic food dispenser that that be controlled with an app on your Android or your, or your iPhone or your Windows Smartphone. Now you can watch your dog eat via camera on the feeder.
1: Oh, that's really exciting! As
3: long as your feeder is connected to Wi-Fi, or you can even schedule feedings with your with your with your phone. You can actually trigger a one feeding session or regular meals just by clicking a button on your app. I mean, suppose your dog looks hungry, you can just give him a little food, and you can watch him watch him eat. Now it'll it'll take wet or dry food. It'll, you can even put medication in there if you want to give your dog some medication. It's got six compartments, each holds up to eight ounces. But you don't want to keep wet food in there more than twenty four hours. Ew. Now, if the feeder's offline and the Wi Fi cuts off, the feed and go will still feed according to the schedule. Hmm. Now, that's two hundred and forty nine dollars. That's kind of the the, the Cadillac. That's the
1: Cadillac.
3: Then you've got sort of the mid the sort of the uh, sort of a, a mid price one, the PetSafe automatic feeder. It'll de- deliver twelve meals, and it's I mean, in case you're going to be gone say for three days or four days, it'll, it'll take twelve Hold meals. Hold that thought. Yeah. And so your pet safe is, uh, you know, you can, you know, it, it, you know, your dog can't break into it. They're all very, very carefully controlled with security, so the dog can't break in and get the food. It has a twenty. <laughs> see, that's the security? problem. Security?
1: What is that, A little guard with a gun? Well, see, well, see, that is the problem. <laughs> a taser. It, they, you know, the
3: dog knows there's food in this thing, and it's going to try to break of into it. Of course it is. Now it has a twenty-four cup capacity. It's got a digital timer. It can portion out food to eight cup, four, uh, four cups, whatever you want. It's battery-operated, but it's got a power adapter if you want to plug it in. Now, you don't need to rely on Wi-Fi to keep your dog scheduled. Just program it in your set. Now, if you're interested in a Wi-Fi-enabled version, you can check out the PetSafe Smart Feed Automatic Feeder, which is compatible with smartphones. But the one without the Wi-Fi is $93 to $106. So there you go. Everything you want to know about automatic no, dog feeder.
1: That's not everything I want to know. Okay. I have questions. Okay, because okay. th- 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 this one thing can feed up to 12 consistent meals. Yes. The law of puppies is what goes in must come out. So, what ha- is there something to automatically walk the dog or.
3: There's there's going to have to be there's going to have to be, to have to be another complementary device <laughs> complementary
1: device to, to handle the output Maybe this is a job for the so, Unimate
3: So this is
1: could the be, dog can pick the dog up by the collar hold it outside long enough and then bring it uh, back that's in right. it
3: could be a Unimate application So there's going to have to be a complementary uh, so this is the input this is the input There's going to the complementary output device the output device <laughs> <laughs> I'll do some research on that, Jim. <laughs>
1: Having said that, maybe it's time to change gears. Okay. We're gonna, let's let's uh, automatically feed one of our listeners. Let's go to line number one. This is Dan calling us from Middleburg, Virginia. Hi, Dan. How are you?
3: Great. Great Good. show today, guys. Thank you, sir. Okay, thanks. Early in the show, I talked about Charles George Charles Duvall. He was the inventor of the robotic arm that was used for initially manufacturing autom- automobiles. What was the name of that robot that they sold to GM? Yes, sir. The Unimate, Universal Automation. That is correct. correct. Dan, very good. Unfortunately,
1: we're all out of uh, speedy weenies, so you'll just have to settle for the the certificates, the dine at Stratford University. Hang on a second. We're going to send you back to Andrew, who will take your information, and uh, we'll send that prize right out to you. It is Saturday morning, and you are listening to Tech Talk Radio here on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m., 103.5 103.5 fmhd 2, 103.9 FM fmhd 2 on the web at stratford.edu. You can also find us on federalnewsradio.com. If you'd like to watch us produce this mess live, you can download the Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome
3: back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Kurdistan, Iraqi Kurdistan, is going to power the Iraqi tech growth. I was just there and really impressed with uh, Kurdistan. They call it the, They call it the Kurdistan region because it is not its own state. It's not its own country. It's an autonomous region in the north of Iraq. Now, its economy is powered mainly by oil and, to a lesser extent, other, other industries. Its capital city is Erbil, and the government is known as the Kurdistan Regional Government, KRG, and it's set to power Iraq's tech ecosystem. Kurdistan has the... Perzmurga There is the army there in Kurdistan. Perzmurga means uh, those who face death. And they are the best fighters in Kurdistan. And they, um, and they basically stopped ISIS in its tracks up there, even though the U.S. didn't give them any weapons. But they love America because we saved them from Saddam Hussein after the Iraq invasion, And so Saddam Hussein had gassed hundreds of thousands of Kurds by taking satellites or taking uh, uh, helicopters up over the Kurdish region. Now, Kurdistan, there are 30 million Kurds, and it's the largest... Uh, ethnic population that doesn't have its own country 30 million and they're spread among their six million there in Iraqi Kurdistan I think there are eight million in um in Iran they're probably they're like five or six million in Turkey five or six million in Syria so they're spread in those four states uh they thought that they would have a, a country Kurdistan back in 1920 this was right after the uh Right after World War One, and they and they broke up the the caliphate there, and they and they thought, okay, they will just form uh, they will just form Kurdistan there. But but Turkey objected to that. <clears throat> Turkey objected to that, and so they ended up breaking Kurdistan up into four pieces. And so Kurdistan lost a huge political battle back in the 1920s, and they've been trying to get back together again since then. But Kurdistan in Iraq is very strong. It's probably the strongest of the four, and it's secure, and it's developed a strong business culture. I mean, there are businesses everywhere. Everybody's starting a business there. It's enjoyed relative stability during the recent conflicts in Iraq and not really at risk of disruption from ISIL. ISIL tried to get into Erbil in the area, but they just stopped them in their tracks, and um, and they really uh, fought back ISIL, and that's not really an issue. Kurdistan has become a real enterprise hub. In recent years, Erbil's you know, Sky has been dotted with new hotels, luxury apartments, office complexes. Building is going on all over the place. It is just almost European in feel. You don't feel like you're in Iraq. You feel like you're in a vibrant economy. It's, it's, it's fueled with oil and gas. They have oil and gas there, and that provides a reliable revenue stream for the population. There's no income tax in, in, in uh, Kurdistan, so that's a plus because the government is funded by oil KRG, the Kurdistan Regional Government, has invested heavily in infrastructure. And this is really good for business over there. They've got high-speed Internet. They've got commercial office space. They've got significant investment in city development. They've got, you know, superhighways all over the place. Erbil and Solonimaya are are home to two international airports. Suleimania are home to two international airports, and there's a third under construction at Duhok. So it's very um you know it's uh, the infrastructure there supports business this is why we're setting up a campus over there because it's it's conducive to education it's conducive to business investment the region produces a highly educated workforce there are 11 public universities and 10 private universities i think we'll be the when we when we get set up or there will be the 11th private university over there now many teach english uh the strength in education is complemented by the arrival of many skilled Iraqis from other part of the country. There, it, uh, Kurdistan attracts a lot, of, a, a lot of professionals, and a lot of Iraqi professionals are returning home from after working abroad. I mean, I, a lot of people that I met over there had been actually in the United States working for many years, mm. and, now, and now they're all going home. It's, and Kurdistan is attracting investment as a tech hub. That's why it's, so it's, a, it's, it's they've got a great tech ecosystem there that includes a lot of trickle-down benefits from the natural resources, the heavy regional investment, and all the other things. So we're really happy to be in Kurdistan, and I just think in the U.S. people think of Iraq, and they think it's war-torn. Right. But Kurdistan is like an oasis of peace in the middle of Iraq. Interesting. I'm really, really happy to be there. Well,
1: congratulations.
3: Well, thank you very much. We're starting with our Stratford Language Institute to teach English. Then we'll have foundation courses that will prepare the youth for college of material. And then probably in about a year or so, we'll actually start the campus and get everything up, start the degree programs and get them all up and running. Excellent. Amazon and Walmart are going to define the future of shopping. Amazon and Walmart are in a death match. These are two huge giants. <laughs> this is a this is a death match, you know, because these they they are they are both fighting for the same thing. Now, Amazon, uh, and, well, Amazon and I I would say at this point, Amazon may have the edge. I was going to say Amazon has the edge. Mm-hmm. Maybe Walmart's in the death match.
1: They're fighting for the lives.
3: Yeah, but Amazon's got the... So so Amazon, or rather Walmart, purchased JetCom to advance its uh, e-commerce efforts in 2016. And Walmart started accelerating its shift at that time from a retail to a tech-focused effort. Now, since then, um, Walmart has, um, you know, has... um, has has tried to get into other had to, has tried to get into other other areas uh, like they they have partnered with Waymo for rides to and from stores Japan's Rakuten for Kobo e-readers they've partnered with Uber Lyft and Postmates for grocery delivery in July Walmart switched its entire cloud operation to Microsoft Azure and Office 365 of course Microsoft Cloud is a big competitor with with the Amazon Cloud. In addition, they have a five-year contract with Microsoft to work on AI projects. In particular, Microsoft is working on the open cashierless brick-and-mortar retail store to compete with Amazon Go. You know, Amazon Go—you go in there, and they just—they sort of watch what you put in your cart, and then you walk out, and you just are billed for it automatically. There's no cashier. Mm-hmm. So, they're, so, they're, so uh, Microsoft is working on the same technology for uh, for Walmart. To try to compete with, with Amazon because Amazon is moving into the brick and mortar business. And they're so they're they're leveraging themselves. So Walmart to compete is going to have to innovate like Amazon plus move into the online business. In addition, Walmart plans to transform its Voodoo subsidiary into a, an Amazon Prime video competitor. Now, you know, I've used Voodoo, they've got a lot of movies on Voodoo, but it's not as easy to use as Amazon Prime. So they're trying to upgrade that to make it competitive with Amazon Prime. Now, Walmart has two tech incubators, one in California and one in Texas. Now, they're experimenting with ideas like cashier-less stores, personal shopping servers. They're investing in areas of artificial intelligence and computer vision. Walmart is a legacy retail operator trying to compete in a world moving quickly toward online commerce, on-demand delivery, and bundled services. Now, Amazon pioneered that model for years. They lost money for years, actually, while they built logistics and gained dominance in industries as diverse as books with Kindle, shoes with Zappos, video streaming with Prime Video and Twitch. Amazon built up a loyalty program, Amazon Prime, to lock customers into its ecosystem. It's got more than 100 million Prime users, and it's got a cloud computing division, Amazon Web Services, that that actually is highly, highly profitable. Amazon's Whole Foods is tied directly to Prime. It's helping Amazon further branch out into everyday purchases as well as the delivery of groceries and household goods. By the way, this, this uh, movement uh, toward the Whole Foods really worried Walmart because one of their most profitable sections in the Walmart store is groceries. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're worried that this movement of Amazon into groceries is going to cut into their profits. Yeah. Amazon's increasingly moving offline as its online business continues to dominate e commerce. And Walmart is rethinking its future as customers decide to buy more everyday items online and have them delivered. It's a real easy way to do it, isn't it? Uh huh. This is going to, I mean, I'm basically, I buy everything on my cell phone now. Because I can find it so fast.
1: Well, that's the thing. When I'm looking for something, I mean, I was looking for some specific parts for a communications device. A uh-huh. police scanner the other day. I'm like, where am I going to find this? And you just go to Amazon, and it's right
3: there. It's there. I mean, I, And it shows up at your house. I, I went to a hardware store. I was looking for this particular device, and, and they were running all over trying to find it. I had two people trying to help me. I was standing in the aisle while they were going around. I found that on, on Amazon – they came back and said, "Oh, sorry, sir. We don't have it. We can order it. It'll be here in two days." I'd already ordered it. It'll be at my it was house. Wasted time. Yeah, it, would, it just came to my, and I ordered it while I was mm-hmm. right there. I, you know, I, I, I went to the store because I, I, I want to shop. I want to support the local stores yeah. because because if I don't support the local stores, eventually there will be no local stores. See,
1: that's the thing. I do still go to a hardware store. That I do because, and it's the same reason because generally I can find it there.
3: You, you but I want to it,
1: make sure that they stay that, in business that
3: they have it there. So I mm-hmm. try to I try to go to the local stores to, to to sort of keep them keep them afloat. Defcon this is the Big Hackers Convention. Defcon mm-hmm. 2018 is coming up and they just they just want to show how easy it is to hack some of the uh, some of the websites relating to the election. Now it begins August 10th and they're having a they have a hacking village. They call it they call it the vote hacking village. And it lets kids have a shot at spreading voting result confusion. Now, they were going to set up a contest for the, you know, for the regular hackers, there, but they said it's so easy to hack these sites that it wouldn't be fun for the real hackers. So they set it up for kids. They've got three age ranges, 8 to 11, 12 to 14, and 15 to 16. And they'll hack replicas of American government websites that report election results. These will be, they're not actually hacking the real websites. I make These are replicas of the real websites, and they've created very detailed replicas that match the back end and everything. Now, the elections in Ukraine and Ghana were hacked. Their, their election reporting websites were hacked in Ukraine and Ghana, and they, and they were hacked to spread confusion about the voting process and its results. And the conference organizers hope that the teams can do the same U.S. style to show how easy it will be to create, confusion and doubt about the election the websites were built by brian marcus one of the best ethical hackers in the u.s when not running defcon's capture the packet competition that runs he runs a security consultancy and has served as on the president's national security council uh, national security telecommunications advisory committee and he develops hacking training materials for the u.s and australian military In two three-hour contests that will be held uh, at DEFCON, the kids will compete to be the best to derail and meddle with the reporting of election results in 13 key battleground states, (laughs) which would in real life spread confusion and doubt. Prizes will be awarded to the first to exploit a security hole, whoever comes up with the most innovative and best social engineering exploit. Uh, There will also be a prize to the youngest to exploit a vulnerability. With the U.S. midterm elections coming in three months, the need for better election security has never been more pressing. And only a handful of states and local governments have received their cyber assessments from DHS. And we still have thousands of jurisdictions that do not have any sensors to identify if an attack has even taken place. Mm. So we are somewhat vulnerable there. And so I think DEF is trying to put uh, a spotlight on that problem. Google Glass helps with aut- autism therapy. Now, children with autism. Remember Google Glass? This is what Google created. This and people were wearing them around, and they they weren't accepted socially because you'd go to a bar and people never knew if you were recording them. You look like a dork. Yeah, and so they called people that were wearing Google Glass "glassholes." <laughs> I remember that. And and you know they they, they weren't accepted socially, <laughs> but but they but they ended up being used very extensively by industry. For repair, because you could actually repair an item, and then you could see an image of the um, of the of the repair manual as you're working on the device. May okay. I remind
1: you yes. that you were a glass hole yourself?
3: I, I was a glass hole, and I certainly enjoyed every <laughs> every
1: <laughs> moment of it.
3: <laughs> so the children with autism—they have problems interacting with people. In particular, they have problems uh, identifying what your facial expression looks like. So what they do. They, th- with the camera, they photograph the face of the person they're talking to. It goes back to the cell phone. An AI calculation tells is this person happy, unhappy, angry. And in the little uh, uh, vision piece, it shows a symbol which indicates how the person is feeling. Because mm-hmm. this is one of the problems that kids with autism, they uh, recommend, recognize in the mood of others. And usually they, they, they do this by holding up uh, flashcards. And so they don't have to have the flashcards. And this has been extremely successful. So I think this will be another great application for Google Glass because you don't want to wear one to a bar no. and be called a glass hole. No, you don't. Listen, we love, love all your emails. You can email us at Talk at stratford.edu. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we want you to go to the Stratford University website. Go to stratford.edu. Check out the programs and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio.
0: Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.
4: To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night.